to touch on what you mentioned earlier, as far as getting into your, your writing tech, um, said, you know, first of all, you said you have two books that are ready to be published, so they're already written. How does that work? They have been written for a while. So what happens is you write a book, and mm-hmm. it's never anything like what actually is published. <laughs> so yeah. I send it to the publisher. She will read it, and she will make a gazillion notes as she's reading it. Yep. But it's really helpful. The first time we did this with my first book, I kind of took offense when I got like 30 pages back. I'm like, oh, this was like my three years of me writing my blood, sweat, and tears. And I was kind of offended because I, I I have a degree in journalism. Like I thought I could write. That was the first book, Gasping for Air. Okay. But what I've learned, we actually do did it, did we do it three times or four times where I took the notes and it's chapter by chapter where it, it was actually really helpful because she'd say like, this is the third time you're mentioning this. Like, I realize it's relevant, but like, it's getting annoying. Like, I get it, you know, to where I'm like, ooh, I got to kind of pick and choose. Or there were things that she thought should be developed more, you know, a little more in depth as far as feeling or emotion or developing a setting or these three chapters. Yeah, you wrote them very well, but they don't really move the story forward or this one's very similar, whatever. So all these notes, I take them. And then I go through the manuscript again and mm-hmm. do what I call revising, which is, you know, addressing her notes and, and, and the issues that she brought. And then I basically like rewrite the book. But there were, I want to say there were four times we did this and it's time consuming. It takes, yeah, months and months and months. I mean, it, it took, well, yeah, it took three years from the time I started with her to the time mm-hmm. we actually published the book. Because once we have the actual final manuscript, then there's software that goes through and makes sure that commas and apostrophes and all that are where they're supposed to be. Yeah. If there's any spelling errors, um, and then we go into publication, which is, you know, the cover and all that. So that only takes three months, and that's more hands-off for me. I'm just signing off on the decisions we make for, like, the cover or the synopsis that goes on the back yeah. of the book, that kind of yeah. stuff. But the actual book writing process is it's a, it's pretty intense. <laughs> I mean, especially, uh continue, continue. No, I'm just going to say, I decided that these next two books, one is actually the prequel and one is the sequel to the book that's already out. I never intended to write more than one book, Mm -hmm. but when I originally wrote what I called, you know, the first manuscript, Mm -hmm. we had actually taken it apart and only published a portion of that story as the first book. But since that has come out, there have been, well, between fans wanting more and people questioning how this came to be, it became necessary for me to actually take what we pulled out about my childhood and make that its own book, which is the prequel, mm. and then take the end of it and, and and do the sequel, which is basically like kind of life after that 25 year long horrendous experience in that marriage and kind of looking at what happened after how I healed from it. Where did I, what happened? A lot of people ask, what happened Mm -hmm. to your son? Is he okay? Yeah. He's fine. It's barrier. It's okay. The people want to know. So, so I have have them written. I'll just, I'll just 
make them better, better make them each their own book, book and we'll do these if you just throw them out there and it'll, it'll be fine, fine. And they're already written yeah no. is there one that you want to release first like the the prequel or the sequel yeah it's funny you say that i only made that decision last week i thought i would release them both at the same time and honestly i even did a poll on social media and mm -hmm. everybody wants the sequel but when okay. i really thought about it i'm like you know the thing about it is that the book that i put out it had meaning it had impact it is every single day i get messages from people on social media or through email on my website saying you know i'm a mental health professional at the way that you go so deep into your emotions in this abusive situation is helping me to help these people that I'm trying to help, or I found the strength to end an eight year abusive relationship. Thanks to your book. Like it is, it is really so many people are relating to it and, and benefiting. And I want that. And I'm not trying to diminish what the sequel is, but I feel like the sequel is coming because of demand. It's kind of like when you get done watching something on Netflix and you're like, oh, but it can't end now. I need the next season. That's yeah. kind of what it feels like. Everyone wants the next season, what comes next. And to me, it's a little bit like, I don't ever want to be like a sellout. I don't want to die on out, out and bubble ball gum bullets either. You know, like, you know, like the, it, it, yeah, not just some fiction story of toxic, toxic. I want something within with the act. So I, so I made the decision like, I'm, I'm going to, I'll, I'll put just a sequel out, but I'm putting the prequel out first because as the victim of child abuse and, you know, dealing with, you know, being born to a, a teenage mother that didn't even want me and, and who openly spoke about, you know, she would have aborted me if she could. And I was an accident and, you know, being abused by the man she ended up marrying verbally and physically and all the feelings of abandonment, rejection, not feeling like I belonged and struggling with existence, I think that's going to be impactful. That's going to be something that unfortunately too many people can relate to. But, you know, that has meaning. The sequel, not that it doesn't have meaning, but I'm actually, that's what I was working on. I actually write every day I'm working on it because yeah. I actually have just figured out two days ago how to take what I've already written it mm -hmm. and give it that sense of meaning, yep. but keeping true to the story. It's so complex without having somebody that actually knows what it's about and, and yeah. what I've written, but it'll get there. It's going to become, so I'm transforming what I wrote into something that will be somewhat impactful still. But I just feel that the childhood thing is something to, you know, it, it's much more important than all this baloney that comes after you know, <laughs> yeah. the sequel. So, so everyone, everybody will get what they want, but then I'm done. People keep saying, well, what about after that? What are you going to write after yeah. that? I can write forever and for the rest of my life, but Dana needs a little bit of a break because Dana yep. lives in the past, you know, every waking moment. And sometimes I just want to live in the present. And, and yep. I'm glad to do things like this where I can share my story, share my past, but do it in a way that I am present, where I am impacting people and helping people along in their, you know, to understand what they're going through or what they may have already been through. Um, or just even, I mean, it, it has so many, it has relevance on a lot of levels. You know, I've talked about parenting and, you know, even just 
healing and, and trauma and the mind-body connection and all kinds of things. So I get the present moments there, but it would be nice to like actually like live my life and maybe then I'll find something else to write about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Speaking of that, um, I mean, the writing process, you mentioned it's uh, it's tedious and it's yes. obviously dreadful, especially when you're not writing about sunshines and rainbows. I mean, it, it, it's it's a happy ending in hindsight of the person you are now about that, but you find it like cathartic almost to oh, yeah. that you survived that and now you're writing about it and you're helping reach out to other people that are out there that have gone through these things or are going through yeah. or maybe absolutely and that was certainly my purpose i mean like my book that's out gasping for air um, yep. about my former marriage and that whole i mean it takes you from start to finish from the second i met him to no 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 spoilers yeah no spoilers but i'm just yeah. saying it, it, it yeah. covers the entirety of that relationship however yeah i mean you know i had a sudden appreciation for actors and actresses when I was writing the book because I mean like you see this darkness behind me as I was sharing yeah. with you before yeah. I I have to go back to some really awful places and I think it's the same in acting like I mean I have to sometimes close my eyes and be like okay what did I see what do I remember like what was what was on the wall? Was it day or night? What was he wearing? What was I doing? What were my gestures? What was I feeling? What were his intentions? Like you're, you're, I have to just recreate everything in that yep. moment. And I have a lot of psychosomatic symptoms as I'm writing because I need to be that detailed. You know, the, the biggest compliment somebody gave me, and it's another author, and I mean, she used to work for Barbara Walters, which the fact that she even read my book, I'm, I'm so humbled. But she said, no, I was there. She was talking about a particular chapter. She said, I was there with you in that apartment on that. What, like, I felt it. And that's what I need readers to feel. I could give a fluffy, superficial version but my writing style and my intent yeah. is, yeah, it's triggering, triggering. it's nasty, I want, but I want the thoughts I, thought I had, you know, that, you know, that, that weren't that nice, nice and that completely, completely go, against go against Christian faith. faith. I mean, I mean, that, that's part, part of that, that experience and I, I needed it to go there, but when I'm writing it, I need to go there in my head. I need to feel it in my body and in my heart and in my mind. And honestly, it's exhausting. And there, you know, I type 90 words a minute. So thank God, like the words, anything that comes through my mind, I can get it out like instantly, which is a blessing. So I can get a lot out. But sometimes, you know, one chapter, especially with as in-depth as I'm trying to go and, and as awful as some of those experiences were, it could take days. I could be on a chapter for a week. And I mean, there are times like I get really bad migraines or I get nauseous because I'm like physically ill as my body is kind of, you know, they say they talk about muscle memory, but your body understands like abuse trauma too. It remembers how you, so when you're there mentally, you're experiencing it physically. So I have to go like lay down and it's very rare that I don't write for a day, but every once in a great while, like on Christmas, you know, I, I yeah. said, well, I'm not going to be Wednesday Adams and be all sullen and sad today. We're going to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that's what I talk about, like, you know, living, having a foot in the past and a foot in the present. I don't get to be like here. 
and live my life now very often, unless I'm on a podcast or I put the writing away over the computer. But I'm on this computer 24-7, it seems, because even in the middle of the night, that's when things, you know, stir up in my head and I wake mm. up like, that's the word I was looking for. Oh, I forgot about that one little detail and that's so relevant. I got to go get it in there right now because if I don't, I'll forget. Or if I write it on a piece of paper, it'll just evade me. So, yeah, the process. <laughs> yeah, because on top of reliving and doing these things, you're, you're dealing with the basic things that normal writers do. You're dealing with writer's block, right? That's a big one. Oh. I have a little brother that writes. Um, he writes as a hobby. Writer's block. It is. It is a real thing. It's a nasty how, how do you? Beast. How do you? Do you walk away and just leave it for a minute or a day and then come back to it, or do you sit where they can get a different perspective? If you're stuck at a certain point, I don't like anyone reading what I wrote because I, unless I know, yeah, I just do that. I'm not even okay. trying to pretend. I don't do that. I, I can speak to this because I just recently, until yesterday, at least I had probably, it was at least three or four days. I was like getting frustrated because I'm like, we're in a polar vortex nobody's calling me, nobody's mm. home, nobody's bothering me. Like I, I am set to write and, and, mm. and it's quiet and I can concentrate. God help me. I just, just stunted. It just wasn't coming. So what I learned to do was like, fortunately, because I'm, I'm telling my, my own story and, and because, because I, I have learned through the process that, that what I actually, I, I do it, on, I, I, I type directly in my documents. I don't do it on paper or anything. But what I've learned is that even when I'm blocked, I mean, I know the gist of the story. So at least if I just get it out, you know what I mean? It's not going to be obviously what's published, not even my best writing, but at least if I just get it out there. And there are times like even last week, there were probably, I don't know, at least three or four chapters, maybe five or six that I wrote that I honestly think might have been a complete waste of time. I'm not sure if they'll end up, you know, being selected to be in the final published version of the book, but that's part of the process. Nobody, no writer actually just writes something and then goes back and, you know, nips and tucks at it. And then here you go. Here's a master. Like, honestly, even my published book, I'll be honest with you. There are things that I'm like, I, it would be a totally different, well, I shouldn't say totally different. There are a lot of things, though, that I would change. There's still one chapter that I never wrote that I still feel strongly that I, I don't, for years, I'm writing this book and I just never wrote that chapter. And I'm like, oh, I should have written that chapter. But there's stuff in there, too, that I'm like, I mean, I'm glad everyone read it and thinks it's great, but it didn't need to be in there or certain things I said that I'm like, yeah, that was part of it, but it didn't help the story any necessarily. It was just kind of random stuff I wrote. So so it's a lot, but I think when you're a writer, you know that you're just going to write and write and write. And and yeah, there are days like this morning, I came back to some crap that I just wrote yesterday just because I was blocked a little bit on that. And I was like, let me just get it, get something there. And when I went and started rereading it, started fixing it, adding in, taking out, I was real happy because sometimes you do have to walk away. And sometimes I, like, like today, I was, I was like, like, I don't even want to deal with that, that part where I'm blocked. I'm just, just going to move down to some, some of these chapters, chapters that I haven't even looked at yet. 
where I know yeah. it's just, just quick, quick, quick fixes. And, and at least that I feel some sort of progress because I will have an epiphany at some point about the other stuff that I don't know what to do with. <laughs> That's so funny too, because um, when, when you look at these things, like as far as your inspiration, do you get inspiration growing up? You read a lot of books. Did you get inspiration from that to become Arthur or was it more of coping mechanism past trauma to write, to journal things down and become an author or was that always the mission? Grow up. I think, no, it was never my goal, but I think that it, it absolutely was a coping mechanism. So mm-hmm. here's what happens. I mean, just to give people an idea. So as a child in an abusive situation, so um, it was mostly verbal abuse, but I was, I mean, you know, <laughs> coming from a Puerto Rican background, you know, Puerto Rican women, they can be loud and we're very vocal and, and we express yep. our opinion. They're <laughs> very, very passionate. Yeah. We are passionate. I was very much that way as a little girl. I was a tenacious, tiny little thing. So even though I was being verbally assaulted, I was giving it right back. I was like, you don't talk to me that way. That is not how you treat a little girl. You know, like I knew it was wrong and I, I was mouthing right back. But unfortunately, that's what would get me the physical abuce. There was always consequences to opening my mouth. And so my mother was always trying to shush me. And my grandma was always trying to shush me. Great grandma, shush, shush, shush. But I felt such injustice Mm -hmm. that nobody was making him shush. Nobody told my stepfather, yeah, "Yeah, you don't get to talk to her that way. You know, the, the nasty things that he said that just completely you know, invalidated even my existence, telling me I shouldn't have even been born and nobody's going to love me and I shouldn't have to pay for another man's child and all these terrible things that, you know, I I was supposed to bow down to him and be grateful that he even let me eat and sleep in his house. And and I've actually been told that too. He was very direct. And it was just so appalling to me. But again, going back to anybody in an abusive situation, the last thing you want to do, you learn very quickly is you don't want to provoke your abuser. So whatever it is that you say or do that makes them angry with you or makes them react to you in a negative way, you learn not to do it, you know, unless you really want to be and you just don't do it. And I didn't mean to say that so flippantly, but it's, it's just what it was. So for me, it was music and writing. I was a creative person and dancing. Like I just, mm-hmm. when I was at home though, I I'd like, how do I say it? I used to try to fly under the radar. So I would just lock myself in my room. Yeah. If nobody was home, I could listen to music because I loved lyrics. Melodies were good because sometimes they express your mood in a way that you just can't with words. But lyrics fascinated me. And everything to like the bubblegum pop of oldies to Metallica to, I mean, Christian rock to popular music, I, I, everything. If the lyrics were artful and and crafted in a way that I felt felt like I I, I, like like somebody somebody gets me somebody gets gets what I'm going through and 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 kind of like what I'm doing now with my book they're verbalizing my pain and my angst and my situation in a way that I'm not able to 
it just spoke to me. So I think that's when I started kind of falling in love with writing. So I started thinking about, oh, well, maybe I'll be a songwriter. Because I played down my wife, played viola, and I worked with strings. And, you know, you know dad dancing even was kind of like, like my lead. Yeah. So I was just dancing in front of the mirror in my room and lip sync because you don't want to hear me sing. But it definitely was a good form of expression that I couldn't get in trouble for. So I would just keep notebooks, write things. At one point, I even thought I'd be a comedy writer. And I was, because people always said I was funny. And so then I'd start writing, but I wasn't really good at being a comedy writer. So I stuck with like more poetry and short stories. But um, now I, I guess I have found my niche in just retelling my stories. So that's how the writing came to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're writing. Let's, uh, let's dive into the book. I mean, we're, we're here. We're here now uh, without any spoilers because um, I'm actually reading the book. Um, oh, good. This is, Thank you. This is where, this is where... It, a physical book, nothing beats a physical book because you can grab the physical book and like, you know, tap, like, let's talk about the book. I don't have the physical book. I'm doing it on a, on the Kindle. And um, okay. so first chapter, I, I think, um, would you call it? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. You gotta do the tap. Yeah, you you gotta do the tapping, the tapping sound on the book. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, that's what I, I need the physical talk. Yeah, yeah. I'm the same way. Because, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I, I'll order it later on because I think that's more beneficial creator, right? What's the best way for the creator to, I would imagine. It really doesn't matter, honestly. Yeah, it really doesn't matter. It's just a personal preference. Honestly, the Kindle, you know, the ebook is a lot cheaper because printing costs are so ridiculous. But Mm -hmm. a lot of people, like, I still like an actual book. Yeah, I need the physical. I need to fill the pages and yeah. Yeah. But uh but for now, no Kindle, that that's fine for now. But was was it the forward? Would you call it the forward? It wasn't the actual chapter one yet. I don't, I don't believe it was. Right. So, the forward. Yeah. You were you were mentioning or I thought about it now because you were mentioning about um how your use of as a yeah. as a child and you mentioned the Walkman with the fuzzy headphones and that immediately connected to me. I was like, oh man, the fuzzy headphones, like the little, the, and, they, and then they would get your hair. If you had long hair, they would, oh my God, that was the worst. Your hair would get stuck in it. It was the price. It was the price to pay for, for enjoying music. But that immediately, I was just like, it brought a smile on face. Walkman, um, you mentioned tape, tape player or cassette player. And I was just like, wow, it really brought me back. But so that was the Ford. Would that be a Ford or what was that? Yeah, that yeah, whatever you call it. Some people call yeah. it. Yeah, I would call it a forward. Okay. Yeah. So so that that immediately got me in. But um, I, I'm kind of a slow reader. Um, I tend to just read really, really slow, and also my mind can kind of like yeah. I'll see something, I'll read something, it'll make me think about something, and I'll just get distracted, or I'll see a word that I'm not familiar with, and I want to look it up. I want to look up. Oh, let me see that word in the sentence, so and so. But the first chapter of um. Gasping for Air. What's the what's the complete title? Gasping for Air. Gasping for Air: The Stranglehold of Narcissistic Abuse. So the the first chapter, I was reading it, and it's it's a bit melancholic because it's being set up like it's a like it's like you can almost imagine a a mother and a and a father telling that story around the around the the fireplace to their children, like oh this is how we met. Your dad was such a jerk when we first met. Uh, your mom thought I was rude. It feels like one of these stories, right? But knowing the book and knowing the synopsis of the story, you know it's not a good. You know it's not a a, a fruitful romance that's you and because a lot of times you know these stories are told like yeah when I first met him he was he was a d bag or she was like whatever you know I had I had to like yeah. you know whatever. And 
I was reading it and it almost had a smile on my face because like the little things that are happening and the way you explained everything going on of him, the 90210 ref subpar. Yeah. And it taking himself too serious. Cause and then like the 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 jab at um he had broad shoulders, but he wasn't as plump in other places, <laughs> you know, like in the he league. had a I was like, I immediately saw that and it's like the visuals, they're just on point and very good. Very good. Thank you. We immerse you in that first chapter when he came looking for, for an apartment. And it really got me in. And, and I, I, it hooked me. It hooked me immediately. And obviously, I'm going to finish it in due time. But um, that first chapter, like, do you can, now, can you look back at it and just, like, I wouldn't say laugh at it, but add humor to it. Like, ugh, you know, like like the jabs you were throwing here and there and just kind of. Oh, absolutely. I, yeah. I think that's part of like the stuff you're bringing up because, well, number one, people that know, like my very best friend, she has always said that she's like, you could be crying and telling me like this horrible thing happened to you. And then you describe something and she's like, yes. I have to bust with you because of your take on it. Yeah. But yeah, I do a lot of pop culture references because it's stuff we can all understand. And it's yeah. actually what is going through my mind. I mean, I literally did things like the way he walked in, he looked nothing like Dylan on 90210. Yeah. <laughs> he, he did. And I was like, yeah. buddy, not, not quite, <laughs> you're, you're not quite there. But that's just who I am. And I think that's something that, you know, kind of surprising for people when they read it. People at least that don't know me that, you know, I'm helping you get there, but you also have this nostalgia of things that you're reminded yeah. of your own yeah. past and, and and you can kind of put yourself in that time and that era and in that place but it's also just me speaking like I you know kind of like I told you when we were talking about recording I'm an off-the-cuff kind of a girl I've never really danced around anything I just say what it is I may be wrong I may be overstepping my bounds but I feel like part of what makes me me is being authentic and, and that's what makes everybody who they are uniquely and so it's just my take and and it's been well received thankfully so uh thank you for sharing that those few little things you know have resonated with you because that that's essentially you know the point i i want people to get something out of it even if i tell people even if you've never had a narcissistic relationship you know just from a reading perspective I feel like I've gotten really good feedback from just the way that I express myself. So I yeah, yeah. appreciate that. It was, it was, it was very well done also because there's some authors that, um, um, I guess they get hung up on, on describing these things. There's so many simile likes and so, um, alluding to other things that at a certain point, it kind of gets a bit heavy with the descriptions going on. It's like right now it's, now it's still a possible bubbly, you know, because people have these stories all the time after that, right? We got through it and now we're happily ever after. There's always that little story, but knowing that this story isn't going to have that, or maybe it is, <laughs> that kind of gets me a bit like, like I, I have to continue reading. I'm gonna, I'm gonna continue reading, but it's still it's like, like it's getting little... on a roller coaster. You just yeah, yeah. buckle yourself in and hold on because it's a ride. Pull yourself. I'm not gonna, you know, you're over here acting like you're Mister Hot Stuff. Go ahead. And I was like, good for you, Dana. But um, 
it, it was it, it was really um it was really good it was a good chapter one and i'm gonna continue it that's well, thank that... you and i should tell you that you know the chapter titles are song titles because of that forward or whatever we're going to call it where i kind of slipped it up yeah you said uh don't turn my brown eyes blue my brown eyes blue because that was a song that since childhood has that was one of the very important songs in my life i just it was a simple old country song and i don't even listen to country i'm the same way i have random songs just float yeah yeah and so it was something it was something else that helped me cope as a kid and that i i hate to admit i still do now where there are situations or people that like a song just fits it perfectly. Yep. So they're like, like my little secret game with myself that, so I made it in all three of my books when the next were published, it's the same thing, but a gasping for air. And if you go on YouTube and look up the gasping for air soundtrack mm-hmm. there, I did make the sound uh-huh. part of the experience with gasping for air is if you want to listen to the music yeah you know, while like you're reading it or before you read the chapter because one of my i get a little cheeky in my sense of humor sometimes so like they're just <laughs> I, I forget which chapter it is but i know there was one that some like some bad stuff went down but like the song and it's just the song that reminds me of that time and what happened is kind of light and and yeah. just so misplaced and so inappropriate, but that's part of what adds to the yeah. experience of reading it. So just that's just so a little tidbit. That's cool because uh, hey, that that hey, if if that's weird, I'm weird too because um, what what I do with uh, with my podcast, um, uh, when I publish it on Instagram, album art or the show or whatever, I always have to sleep on a song or I and the song is gonna the song is gonna talk to me, you know, whatever song it may be, whatever yeah. vibe the podcast episode had or the guest had, that's the song that I'm gonna use to publish it on on social media. I mean, obviously, I don't own the rights to the song, so it's just the, it's just the Instagram publication. It's just like. It's not the actual recording on YouTube. It's just publish it on Instagram. So whatever song is like, so, that's the song. And, 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 so you're and, doing the same thing that I've been yeah. doing my whole life. And it, yeah. it's a it's, it's, little game and you yeah. know, whatever. It's one of our works, I guess. Yeah. And that's the thing is that yeah. music can be and people, people make people make fun of me. It's a DM, 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 I will say this, if anybody just looked at her lyrics, take the music out of it, I mean, she's a phenomenal, phenomenal songwriter. The way she crafts words together is brilliant. So, but I do jam to some of her. I don't think any, do people argue that? Or I don't think they, I don't think, I don't even think they argue that. I think it's just, I've never heard someone. Yeah, yeah. I, they're just they're trying to be, I guess, um, anti what, what hipster or something like that. Maybe because it's so popular. Everybody wants, yeah. Oh, the one that's out now. No, I'm saying, I'm saying in general, people who are anti Swifty, I guess, are just trying to be above it. They're trying to, I guess, not go with the wave. I don't know why is anyone against anything? It's usually yeah. jealousy or envy or something like that. But I, you know, I had a couple haters, and I'm like, bring it on. I mean, I, I took offense and got sensitive about it at first, but I'm like, no. I, I saw something. 
who are those twins, Tia and Tamara? Remember them? I saw one of them. They're uh, Laurie. In a show from like, like the, yeah, sister. So one of them I saw in a more recent interview, and she's like, no, if somebody is going to hate on me, that means I made it. I am successful. I have something that they hey, did. Hey. And I achieved yeah, it. So I'm like, amen. Like, that's me. I'm like, yeah, we, what they also say, what they tell me now, the kids say is, if if, um, if you ain't got no haters, you ain't popping. Right. You know, well, you like, just, yeah. I'm a little popping then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. You're popping. If you got to pop your collar, there you go. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, but but the, the speaking of, okay, so that's going to transition perfectly because um, Taylor Swift, I mean, um, she she had her situation, I guess, was it the Jay Gyllenhaal situation? Your Swift, did you yeah. tell me? Yeah. So would would that be, would he be classified or how would you classify to kind of transition to their one of your, how would you classify what's in the narcissist? Well, it's a, here's what I like to tell people. Number one, a narcissist, you know, I think that people don't really understand what that is because it's thrown, people look, thrown around loosely. They throw it out so loosely. And the thing is, the word narcissist comes from the name of the degree God. Narcissist, who you used to look and admire his reflection in the water. I did I did not know that. And I'm a nerd. Yeah. I did not know yeah, that. So that's where the word narcissist and so people will say, oh, they're narcissists, they're narcissists, what we're saying, these people on social media, yeah, that are, you know, yeah, they got six six pack, they look looking good, or girls with their legs just in their hair, looking hot in a bikini. But let's be real. I mean, I wish I looked like a guy. Like, I cannot hate on people who just know how good they look. I mean, I wish I had that kind of self-esteem. Are they narcissists? Her, the actual... You know, if we base it on what the the Greek god did, yeah, they're narcissists, but they're not bothering anybody, right? They're just, yeah. they're just really into how they look. Yep. They're not going to bother you with that. The narcissist that I have had the pleasure of repeatedly um, experiencing in my life are what we call malignant narcissists. And I always say they're like tumors, like your benign tumor doesn't bother you, it's just there. Those are those people that are into themselves and how they look and, and know that they look good. The malignant narcissist is just like a malignant tumor. They cause you problems. They might even kill you. You got to cut them out. These malignant narcissists are people who will use, and I will say that narcissistic abuse is simply when a narcissist abuses you. So when we're talking in these terms, we're talking about a narcissist, somebody who is looking to fulfill their ego and their idea of their own superiority, and they are using abuses to manipulate you into giving that to them. But what happens in narcissistic abuses, they're not just physically abusing you. They're not just verbally abusing you like a bully at school. They are legally yeah. abusing you, financially, sexually abusing you. They're casting you. They are emotionally, psychologically. I mean, silent treatment's a big one. I mean, we did silent treatment, what, in the military? They do that to war prisoners. Yeah. Silent treatment, you know, isolation. Yeah. That is not 
That is not normal behavior that should go on in a home, never mind to a child, but you don't do that to the people that you say you love. You shouldn't do that to anybody, honestly, if you're a good, morally conscious human being. And so this is the type of narcissism that I am referring to and talking about when I'm talking about narcissists in my books and in this aspect. So it's someone that not only do they feel the need to have that power over you, but they almost needed to make themselves to build themselves. Oh, it's absolutely to build themselves up. It's just that they do it in different ways. Like my stepfather, when I was a kid, my stepfather is one of these typical narcissists. He's going to tell you like, he thinks he knows everything. He has the best this. He has the most that. You know, he's just got to be number one. And everybody's got to think that. And he wants all the admiration and praise. Yeah. My ex-husband was what we call a covert narcissist. And I always likened him to the character Eeyore on Winnie the Pooh. You know, that perfect donkey or whatever he Yeah, was. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For me, nothing good ever happens to me. The humility draws you in. The pity draws you in because you want to pump them up, right? Yeah, 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 of course. Yep. Boy, was he a nasty, evil thing behind closed doors. He just, he was trying to build himself up because deep inside, he did not see himself as any, he saw himself as as a worthless POS. And I won't say those words, but he needed other people to reflect back to him this idea of himself that was much, much higher and, and, and much better than what he yeah. really felt inside. It's just unfortunate that these covert narcissists that do this, again, will use multiple, any and all abuses to manipulate you into serving their ego to where they need. Do, do you feel like the term in recent recent history, the term gaslighting has become very popular? Do you feel like that one too? Yeah. Do you feel like now, like does the good outweigh the bad because it it is popular and there is awareness over it? But same thing with narcissism. I feel like people go like people don't, don't even know what they're talking yeah. about. You know, just like you know, finding out that when I tell them it's the name of a Greek god. I mean, honestly, if I apply the word narcissist narcissist to you know like my ex-husband and my stepfather these, these are not people who look in the mirror and admire themselves so really the term is, is applicable but i feel like that's what we call them so that's what it is but i feel like in, in the society right now people are using the term loosely just to refer to anybody they don't like just like when i was a kid everybody was a jerk if i didn't like you you're a jerk you're a jerk you're a bully what yeah. now they're just saying narcissist and i'm like that person and and, and here's the reality a person can have narcissistic qualities and not be a narcissist. You know, that just like I always say, if you go to the doctor and you tell the doctor you have a sore throat and a cough, Lord, you could have bronchitis, you could have the flu, you could have strep, be all kinds of things. Just because you have symptoms of it doesn't mean you are one. But for yep. somebody to experience a true, very real narcissist, like I have experienced more than once, believe me, you know, if you have experienced a narcissism in, or narcissists in full force, but like gaslighting, a lot of people don't even know what that term came from. That was an old movie. I want to say it was in the 1930s or 1940s. Yeah. With the stove. It was called the gaslight. Well, right. with the light. Right. Because yeah, the gaslight. Yeah, right. Because the 
the husband was purposely turning the lights off and turning them back on. And the, mm-hmm. and the wife would say, oh, I wonder why the lights are flickering. And he'd say, they're not flickering. I don't see that. He was trying to make her think she was nuts. He was trying to make her doubt and question her reality, which yep. is what gaslighting is. But nowadays, I mean, I, I hear it, it. It makes me cringe, you know, when I hear somebody say something and then the person they're talking she said no don't gaslight me like no yeah was not (laughs) yeah yeah. you are gaslighted and and i have been there in my previous marriage boy did he ever you literally i mean i went to a psychiatrist i i honestly thought i was losing my damn mind you to say you doubt and question your reality you are made to feel completely delusional when everything you say everything you observe everything you call out is negated didn't happen i never said that you don't under you're miscommunicating that's more methodical fostering yeah that's more methodical than just not believing you or just miscommunicating. yeah exactly that's that's there's a method there that's a method. oh absolutely right? it's a form of brainwashing i mean they're trying to basically disarm your intellect and and your sense of yourself because the more that they can deplete who you are and deplete your 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 uh how do i say it, it you know if i'm looking at you i can see let's say factual things i can see lights behind you i can see you're wearing a black or a dark shirt you know so if somebody's gaslighting me every single day, 20 times a day, and they're going to stand next to me and say, his shirt isn't dark, his shirt is bright as the sunshine that, you know, after, you know, 25 years, I was with this guy. If somebody's doing that to you for that long, you start to think, okay, like, are my eyes going? Like, is my vision okay? Am I not seeing things clearly? It's the same with your mind. And and that's what true gaslighting is. So, you know, yeah, it's a term that's definitely misused, overused, and I don't pay much attention to it. But I think what I've learned um, with all of this is that with the word narcissist, gaslighting, whatever, any word, I'm not into labels. I'm not into, you know, the, the reality is, is if somebody is intentionally causing you harm, it's not a good situation. I don't care what you call it. I don't care if you want to call them a narcissist, say they're gaslighting. It is what it is at the end of the day. Because there are people that will cheer them up or prop them up or hype them up um, without spoiling um, your story and how you kind of had that realization him not being at a drag you in how would you like what's something that words look for in a person and be like okay this person is not a genuine eeyore character if they're using that what's something that would kind of indicate it like because there are people that have low self-esteem there are people like i've had, I've had partners that I've had partners that that swore they were photogenic i would take pictures like yeah they look good and it's like beautiful smile like you know and they think i'm just being nice because i'm their partner and it's like, right i like you know it's like and I'll even try to joke like, look, I'm a very, I, I'm, I'm a very um, superficial person. If you talked about what, like, you know, just as a joke, but it's like, but I feel like I needed to be their hype man. And opposite right. person, they weren't, they weren't, they, they were just genuine. They were like, how do you distinguish? How would someone, okay, person is using the way to drag. Well, there, it's definitely control. And we're, when there's a repeated incident of it, I mean, you know, to address like what you were just saying, yeah, there are a lot of people with low self-esteem, you know, and I certainly, I've lived my whole life with low self-esteem, you know, until I finally figured out that I, I deserved and was worth more 
um, little leader in life. But like when somebody seriously, like with what you were just saying, the picking pickers would be like, oh, no, no, no. And you're like, no, you are beautiful. They just feel very lowly about themselves. You know, somebody that's a narcissist or trying to, you know, they would be throwing bait out at you. Like they would get dressed and kind of act all awkward and weird and be like, well, don't you think I look pretty? You didn't tell me I look pretty. You know, like they would. Oh, yeah, that's different. Yeah, you know that's way I, different. That's yeah. Yeah. Where they're that's different. control. Yeah. You know, you yeah. see what I'm saying? Whereas obviously some of these girls that, you know, you were with, they really just, you know, didn't yeah. think very much of themselves. And that, that I can relate to because I never, never liked my picture taken and never thought any picture was good. And now I'm just like, whatever. Everybody says they look good, so we'll just go with that. And some days I can stay now, like, damn, girl, you clean up okay. <laughs> like, you have to get there. But, you know, that's the difference, you know, between people like you and, and people like them. People like you and me, we want other people to feel good. We want other people to feel yeah. comfortable. And some people just haven't because, like, my childhood. And it sounds like some of these girls that you've been with have had, you know, kind of rough starts to life where they, they were diminished in some way made to feel badly about themselves or their appearance in some way or yeah, well, to be fair to be fair umbo, umbo in both ways we were we were always it was always funny because we were good at taking i would be the same okay i don't think i, I don't think I'll, right but that's a, there's a humility in yeah. that whereas a covert narcissist is they are they are trying to get yeah. you, you know you you write a book that, that's <laughs> but but because you hit the nail on the head there you with simply look good today that's like, yeah, yeah, that's a red flag. If someone, I'd be like, hold on, like that, that is kind yeah. of, yeah. The control, when they're head. trying to control how you, I mean, even aside from the, the, just physical appearance, my ex would ask me a question and then immediately, I mean, before I could even process the question, he'd ask me the question and, and then he'd say, you are supposed to respond by saying blah, 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 blah. Like, like. Why did Why you even ask, even ask if you're going to you're going to me, me? You know what I mean? You know what I mean? What they're, what they're trying, trying to basically, like, like manipulate or, or I tell you whatever the case may be, you know, or, or, or like, like, oh, you didn't, you didn't tell, tell me I'm pretty. pretty. You're not, not, not pretty. pretty. Or, you, yeah. I don't think I look good. good. What, what do you think? think? You know, this, this is fitting for stuff. They're baiting you, trying to get you to play into their hand, but it's control power. Because once they know that they can control you and manipulate you to behave and react exactly how they want, they're, they're getting it. Then they're, they're going to push it a little further next time. And that's the thing about narcissism that people don't understand when they say, oh, how did you say? Why did you stay so long? It was so bad. Because it doesn't start that way. It starts yeah. with a little thing. You know, it yep. starts with, the, you know, oh, do you have to go to church this Sunday morning? It's cold out. Just stay here and snuggle, snuggle and we'll Netflix and chill. To yeah. five years later, why are you going to church? You're going to screw the priest? Is that what you're doing? You know, yeah. it's, it's manipulation. But it starts here, and every time they push the bounds just a little bit, just enough to propel things a little further along to how, you know, whatever they're trying to uh, get out of the situation. 
situation, but not enough that it's a deal breaker for you to walk out. If that makes yeah. any sense. Yeah, Which of course. In cities in that way, it creeps in. Yeah. Like you're at point A, and when you get to point B, you look back and say, how the heck did I get yeah. here? Yeah, yeah. And and I mean, also there's terms like uh, love bombing, right? Isn't that one where yeah. when they feel like maybe they went a little too far, or maybe they have to back on that roller coaster, and they'll love bomb, they'll love bomb the heck out of you so that... Right. And then now you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna love that affection. So now you're gonna be on your best behavior, get love, right? Isn't that like well it's a manipulation technique? That's what love bombing is. So they feel so in the beginning, they love bomb you because I mean, you know they're courting you. Yeah. They're courting you, but they're gonna keep love bombing you all the way till the end. All the way till the end, because when they do something wrong, it's gonna be, I'm sorry, I'll never do that again. I love you. You're precious. You're this, you're that. It, whatever they know you. They yeah. have you pegged. They when they feel you're on to them, or maybe, you know, like further along, and I, I won't give any spoilers, you know, from my experience, but when you're further along and stuff happens that like anybody else in their right mind would be like, that's it, dude. Like I'm out. Peace out, mm-hmm. done. But they know what to say to make you stay. They yeah. know what to say. They know how to pull your heartstrings, and they've—you're like their puppet. They know how to play you, so you stay. And and that's just what it is. But that's what love bombing is. You know how many times I—I I know the first time I sent my my manuscript, my first manuscript to the publisher, she's like, "You said you were done like fifty times." And, and I look back, I typed in the, the search, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I, I'm done. And I think it came up like 100 stuff because it was like, after that, I'm done. That was yeah. that was the last straw. And then she's like, but then you go on, and it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on. Yeah. And you're done, done, done. It's because it's this constant push yep. and pull. That's what it feels like. They you uh, pull away because they've done or said something atrocious, unforgivable, but then they lure you back. Then they push you away and they yeah. lure you back. And it's that constant, like, on again, off. Like, I always say it's a true love-hate relationship. The only problem is that when they're loving you in that love-bombing, you know, stage, which never lasted too long for me, I... I had actually started taking a record it's where my book came from is from my journal and he could never go more than 10 days in in all of our 20 some years together there was never 10 good more than 10 good days in a row if you can call them that those were just non-incidental days um, yeah yeah they were probably the bare minimum yeah he could well, not endure yeah. The, yeah. the the good guy part of him for more than 10 days it, so it those good days, like you said, were basically probably just normal days. Just him. Quote, they were what people should yeah. have. Yeah. Like on a so normal day. That kind of messes up your scale because healthy relationships have for normal days. That's like all the way up here. But because you're way down here in a peaceful relationship, when they were, you know, the scale only brings you up to average or normal, you know, that's, it that's, even, right. yeah. yeah. I mean, it got to the point with me, and I think many people can relate to this where, you know, as time goes on, if, if something terrible didn't happen that day, that was enough. Even yeah. if there was this insult and, and, and demeaning comment and a slam of the door, punch in the wall, if, 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 if something was one at your head you weren't threatened in any way you're just like oh okay we got through the day okay like it's sad that you become like like that 
chaos becomes your normal. Yeah. It's just, you know, I, people always talk about too, like, it's like walking on eggshells. If they threw the eggshells, it was like a damn minefield for me because the mood could be okay and it would instantly flip. I mean, God, I remember a few times he's, why did you look at me that way? I, I'm not even looking at you. Like, I, I mean, I would get, like, I didn't even look at you. I swear to God. Well, you, I saw you. No, I didn't. Um, and, it, and it would just explode. It would, it could be the littlest thing. Even somebody today was telling me about their experience. She's like, I just sat down at the, at table. the table. It was, it was the only remaining, remaining seat at the, at the table. table. And I sat there and he just exploded. I wasn't supposed to sit at the head of the table, she said, but it was the only seat. So it's like, you don't even know when, when it's going to flip on you. You think you're okay. And, you know, so even trying to raise my kid in the middle of this, you know, we had a son together that Mm -hmm. added a whole element, but I mean, it got to the point where my son was old enough where like, if one of us was home first already and the other one walked in, we just had a look or we text each other like today is a day because it's a very neutral text. Like today yeah. is a day. Like yeah. morning, like when you come home, just saying like wow. tread carefully, tread lightly. Mm-hmm. And, and nobody should have to you know, the problem with that, um, yeah, I don't want to spoil too much in the book. You'll get there. But yeah. for me, it manifested physically because it's all of this living with so much worry and stress and tension. I was living in fight or flight and I lived in that in that state in my childhood. Now I was living it in my marriage and it eventually, you know, without getting into too many details, manifested physically where I became autoimmune and developed a lung disease because of that cortisol, that stress hormone constantly going through my body at such elevated rates. So it's something that very realistically, you know, it is, you know, nobody that's posting pictures of their abs online and having a healthy self-esteem could have affected my health that way. But being given the silent treatment, physical threat, um, you know, the legal abuse, the financial abuse, um, there was sexual abuse, it, it just... It's a lot, but something comes at you and you don't even have time to process it or deal with it when, when something else is coming at you and then something else. And then in the middle of this, I've been still trying to go to work and be a functioning human being. Yeah. I still have a kid to raise. I still have a mortgage to pay and a house to clean and, and all the regular stuff of life. And, and yeah. it's a lot. It, it's a lot for people. Yeah, because you're dealing with the no more everyday stressors, right? That, that yeah. We have. And do you feel like you're, you're I, I would imagine this is where you're going to touch on in the prequel, but do you feel like your upbringing kind of molded you? 100%. Like accepting this and, oh, this is just normal. Like, I 100%. I don't think I ever thought it was normal. The good news is that I did have, you know, I mean, I, I knew people, you know, I could see like my friend's parents that had what I guess I hate to use the word normal, but that had loving relationships. I could yeah. see my friend's parents treating my friends, you know, their own children nicely and well, yeah. still being disciplined, but, you know, having growing up in a healthy home um, where they're encouraged and uplifted and loved and supported. And so I was able to recognize what I was not given in life, but absolutely a hundred percent, no matter how wrong and, and, and how unjust um, 
my stepfather was and even my mother because my mother you know talk about a gaslighter i can't tell you how many times throughout my whole life but especially in my childhood something could be happening right next to her and she'd turn her head like let's pretend it's not happening or i would go to her and say he said this or he did this look at the marks on my body you know and she would say oh well if you didn't provoke him you know if you you know it was always turned around to me and, and so, so absolutely, absolutely even, even though I knew, I knew it wasn't, it wasn't I internalized it because it's hard when you are verbally and physically being assaulted, basically, and, and made to feel I was the ultimate scapegoat. Everything was my fault. Everybody's misery, everybody's actions, everything had to do with basically like I, I honestly, I, I think I actually say this in the prequel that just my existence, my presence was bothersome to their spirit. That, that was it. And it's hard not to carry that into life where you're feeling one invalidated. You're feeling like you are a burden. Like e even to this day, like I'm just still get I'm remarried now to a man that is just I, I just adore him to pieces. I've known his family, thank goodness, for almost 20 years. So they're good people, but you know, like I still have a hard time just like even calling him in the middle of his work day because I don't want to bother him. Yeah, you know, yeah. with my ex, it was like an issue. So I, I still, but but I'm getting better. You know, like I'm allowed to make a phone call. It's okay. Like I'm not. It's like you're allowed to inconvenience. You're allowed <laughs> right. allowed to do these things. Right, but I was not. I, it was, it did not come, you know, <laughs> it did not get taken that way for the first 45 years of my life. So it is something that definitely, you know, it is prevalent that people who are abused as children often end up in toxic and dysfunctional relationships, basically repeating the cycle, you know, and this is how generational trauma you know, occurs as well, because, you know, I look at my mother, she, I mean, her alcoholic father held a gun to her head. My, my grandma went through horrific things with, with my grandfather, you know, so, you know, it was just the next generation, you know, they didn't really take even my complaints seriously because, oh, it was not that bad. He didn't put a gun yeah. to your head. You know, <laughs> yeah. My, yeah. my stepfather has a sob story too, and I'm sorry for that, but I broke it. You don't, I don't care what you have been through. I mean, when I had my son, I made the conscious choice. No, I'm never laying a hand on him and I'm not going to ever yeah. speak to him the way that I was spoken to or treated. And guess what? He's actually a very successful and, and, and good human being. And, and, you know, I stopped it. I stopped the trauma. We don't need to repeat these cycles, but I yes. think people fall into what they're familiar with. Yep. You know, it, it's not brain surgery there to figure well, that out. And I, I think, think that part of what led me to tolerate more than, than I should have is because it wasn't, as, at least at first, it wasn't as bad as my childhood. Yeah. My act, that, that love bombing, it, it was, was enough. enough. For me, a girl whose mother and stepfather, I mean, they didn't love me at all. I couldn't get anything. I couldn't get a hug if I wanted to. But this man, at least every once in a while, would show me some affection. So it was enough. And it's yeah. sad. That, that's, that's enthralling. That's that's something that the generational, we, we're, we're going to have to do a whole episode on that because the generational baggage that we carry as Latinos. I think 
I think fundamentally our, you know, our parents, or grandparents, um, they didn't know about doing the work. And also if they admitted that they were doing wrong, they would have to have to reevaluate how, how their parents raise them and that's that's what it is so like i comment because i see some parallels obviously i can't compare to childhood that that's something i, I didn't have to go through saying i can't imagine because you mentioned i think maybe it wasn't another um, where it was but you mentioned that that your mom would just randomly say it like so casually say or remind you often as mine did that she didn't want you. yeah that, you know it's like oh by the way i didn't want you it's like Okay, thanks. Like, it's like you know, I, I, I was referred to from as far back as I can remember. I was referred to as a mistake, as an yeah. accident. Um, I frequently heard that she, you know, my mother wished she had aborted me and that she, you know, could have in, in a different time, theoretically. Um, it was actually my grandma and great grandma that I owe my life to because, you know, even they, you know, they wouldn't allow my mother to even adopt me out. They made a pact that my grandma would get a job to pay for my expenses and great grandma would raise me. So that was part of where, you know, that that was a slight blessing, you know, yeah. uh, aside from all the the ugliness of my childhood, the blessing was, was that I had a grandma and great grandma who showed me tremendous love. My my great grandma. I, she in my heart was my mother because mm-hmm. she was the one I lived with. She was the one that rocked me and soothed me and was there for me and nurtured me and cared for me. She was everything a mother would be. And I was, you know, I think, you know, like you're talking about Latinos, it, it's, it's, we, we are raised within our whole family system. It's not just like, you know, mom and dad and, and the kids and everyone else is outside of that. You know, you know, we are we are very, very involved with grandparents and uncles and cousins, and you know, so I had my uncles and I had my cousins, and I experienced. So fortunately, the first few years of my life, I experienced love and family as as I should have. It's just that it was taken away when my mother decided to marry this horrible man and yeah. took me away from our family and far away from everything and everybody. And all of a sudden, you know, I don't want to give too much in the prequel, but here we were in a middle class, you know, predominantly cut. Ca- well, it was all Caucasian. And then she's trying to put me in gap clothes and straighten my hair and stop rolling your R's. And nobody needs to know we're Hispanic. And, you know, there was so much shame in being me. And, I, you know, I'm a kid. I'm like, why can't I just be myself? That's on top of the abuse. Yeah. Yeah. Wait till that one comes out. It's a fun one. <laughs> definitely going to have to do episode two. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, that, whenever you're available, we're gonna touch base. Perfect. I, I let me let me just commend you for your story. It's remarkable, and it's not finished yet. Literally, you're still working on the book. But it's something that I just have to commend you power through and, and being able to look back at it such an analytical um site and also at the same time it brings some levity. You know, you're not you're not bringing the emotion of oh oh woe is me right at times. Sorry for yourself that if anything you're trying exactly. To that have been through things, you know, and nobody's comparing tragedies, but obviously it's that connection with people who have gone through similar or worse things happen. Well, I appreciate you saying that too, because that's the thing. Is my story the most horrific? No, absolutely not. I, I have had people share with me their stories, which 
I, I, I have a hard time even, I mean, a few people have brought me to tears just hearing that they went through the kind of, there's just horrible things that people do to each other in this world. But I, what I think is important for people to see from this is that, yeah, we all go through stuff, right? I mean, like we all have to practice to deal with among victims of abuse or domestic violence. You know, there's so much you know, it, it, you're not supposed to talk about it. And, you know, people carry the shame and they're afraid. And it's just, I am willing to be that person that stands up and says, I'm going to speak for all of us and, and I'm going to help them rise above that, you know, because you don't have to sit there and pity. You don't have to sit in the block of what happened in your life. You can rise above it and use it. You know, if you're advantage, you did it as a stepping stone to learn, you know, about other people, about yourself, uh, you know, about life. But everybody should still try to find some joy in life. There's still so much joy to be had, no matter what. So much life to live. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. You are beautiful, so I appreciate you. I appreciate you. And we're definitely going back to I would be more than happy to do that. We'll definitely do that. Thank you for being on the podcast. Talk soon. Bye.